This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. We are so excited to welcome back to Emmanuel Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge today. Minnesota Adult Teen Challenge is making a massive difference. And I believe they're really a part of the fabric of Emmanuel. We have so many staff and graduates of Teen Challenge that are a part of this church family. And we love it because their testimonies are inspiring for the next generation. And today, we're gonna welcome to our services on each of our campuses and online, the testimonies of faith, of lives that are transformed through the power of the gospel and a ministry that is making a big difference. At the end of the service, we're gonna have an opportunity to invest in our Kingdom Builder partner, Teen Challenge. And as an Emmanuel family, I wanna challenge you to let your faith rise so we can make a difference tangibly with Teen Challenge today. So yeah, this is one of my favorite uh, services of the year. So grab your tissue and be ready because you are gonna hear some stories of some life transformation. So Emmanuel family on all of our campuses online, can we give a great big welcome back to Emmanuel, Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge. Thank you, thank you, good morning. I'm Rich Sherber, I'm the Executive Director of Minnesota Adults and Teen Challenge, and just a special thank you for uh, your support. Uh, I mentioned earlier that it was back in 1984 that I uh, had a meeting with Pastor Mark Denius, and I shared the vision that me and my wife had to someday uh, to go to South Africa and uh, to uh, work inside the black townships during the apartheid period. Uh, Pastor Mark did everything he did he could to support us. He started picking us up in support, and uh, during that time, we were in South Africa. We did, um, uh, I think there were over uh, 14 different uh, month-long tent crusades. We've seen over 30,000 adult decisions for Christ. We built nine churches and came back on furlough. And all that time, uh, Emmanuel was supporting us. And then I came and was asked to take over the Teen Challenge ministry. At that time, the, moral, the director had had a moral failure. I was asked to come to a meeting with uh, Pastor St. John, the district superintendent, as well as seven other pastors who represented a board uh, of Teen Challenge. And, the, and when I walked in the meeting, they said, this meeting is uh, very critical to the future of Teen Challenge. We will either, if you do not take the leadership uh, we will shut down the ministry of Teen Challenge and we will file bankruptcy. And uh, uh, the Lord laid on both of Lynette and I's heart to take over this leadership of Teen Challenge. And uh, at that time, we met with Pastor uh, Denius again, and he said, listen, we're behind you, Rich, 100%, whatever we can do. And uh, just so you guys get an idea, in 1984, that's 94, 2004, 2014, that's 36 years this month to talk about kingdom building, that this church has been behind the ministry of the Shervers in Africa and Teen Challenge every single month. God bless you. And you're going to hear some of the results of what God has done through the 36 years of ministry. We took over Teen Challenge. You can bring up the first building. It was an old condemned house I got for a dollar. I came to Pastor Mark and to the leadership of the church, um, especially the men's group, and I said, listen, I need help. I, we don't have any money. I've got nothing. And uh, men from this church came and helped do the demolition. You can bring up the next picture. It was a rat's nest when we took it over. Uh, it was absolutely horrible. 
and uh, the worst area of, of South Minneapolis on Clinton Avenue called Crack Alley over the half of the houses were boarded up. Just a few buildings down was the largest adult um, bookstore and adult um, uh, strip joint in the Twin City area, and uh, that's since been closed down. But look at what God has done now uh, today. Uh, Minnesota Adults and Teen Challenge has 13 different campuses across the state. We are one of the largest teen challenges in the world. We uh, have um, grown to become one of the largest uh, drug and alcohol treatment programs in the state of Minnesota, secular or Christian, with over 400 employees. Last year, over 3,100 individuals went through one of our uh, teen challenge pro adult and teen challenge programs. So thank you, Emmanuel. God bless you. Give yourselves a hand. You know, what you may wonder and ask is, what, what is Kingdom Builders all about? I'll tell you what, thank God we're making an influence. We're not only touching um, individuals, as you're going to hear, we're touching whole families, and uh, God is using this ministry. Uh, we've got a few of our residents that are going to come and share some stories, and we're going to start with Micah. He's a, I grabbed uh, uh, Micah and uh, his fiance. They are they are regulars here every time this door opens, and it was so wonderful to see. I think I ran into a half a dozen Teen Challenge graduates that are part of the service just this morning, so bless you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, my name is Micah, and I am 32 years old. Um, I guess my addiction spanned for about 20 years. Um, when I came to Teen Challenge, I came basically to get off parole. I had no plans on staying sober, and at that point, I didn't really have a relationship with God. Um, the thing that changed all that was the staff that worked with me. They showed me what God's love was before I knew what it was. After graduating the program, I actually became staff. Um, I worked in the men's long-term program that I actually graduated from, the Hudson House. And throughout that time, I got to see and help guide men down the same path that I took. Um, in my addiction, I ruined a lot of things. I haven't been a part of my daughter's life for over 10 years. Um, and that was one thing that I was praying for the whole time I was, when I was in the program was for restoration. And I can honestly say at this point, I still don't have that restoration, but the thing I gained while in Teen Challenge is hope. Um, my mother, she's actually having restoration with my daughter. She's now able to speak to her, and that's something that I prayed for because of my actions, she wasn't able to be a part of my, her granddaughter's life, but now she's able to do that. Um, I actually moved on from that position in the long-term program, and now I work for a different part of Teen Challenge. I work in the prevention department. My job is I get to go to schools, and I get to talk to younger people about the choices that I made in hopes that they don't make that same decision. Because for me, I think prevention is a huge thing. Um, we go to over 160 schools a year, and we reach to about 60,000 students. When COVID-19 hit, I was worried. I didn't know. I said, God, how are we gonna reach these kids? A couple days later, we kind of put into a process of doing these Zoom presentations. And by the end of the year, we were still able to reach the same amount of students that we usually do. But with that, now, next year, we're looking towards reaching more. So this program's changed my life, and because of that, I'm able to kind of share my stories with others in hopes that they don't make the same decisions that we do. So thank you so much, Church, for just all your donations and all your prayers, because it made a huge impact on my life. Thank you. Hi, I'm Cassandra. Um, in 2017, I came into, came into Teen Challenge. Um, I had multiple years of meth use, um, Ivy meth use, that had brought me into some legal troubles. And um, during that time, I had lost my job. I'm a licensed dental assistant. I lost my kids. 
Um, I lost my home. And so my one option was my parents said, we'll help you, but you have to come into Teen Challenge. You need to find God. And so as I came in, I found a relationship with Jesus. Um, I went through the long-term um, program and graduated in October of 2018. I went to TCLI afterwards for three months for a transition, and God restored me back to my children. He restored me back to the, um, my job. I have a, a way better job than I had before, um, and um, I have a daily relationship with Jesus Christ, and I'm a member at this church, and you guys have supported us so, so much, and I'm so thankful that every day that I get to come here, or every Sunday, and every day I get to just fellowship with wonderful people like you. You really have changed my life. Thank you. Hi, um, my name's Chanel. I'm 36 years old, and I've been in the long-term program since September of last year. So coming up on my graduation, and Pastor Rich, I'm so thankful. This program has saved my life. Um, I grew up in Dallas, and I have pretty wonderful parents, but there still was some dysfunction in my family growing up, and I learned pretty young that through my brothers and my dad that hurt people hurt people and I kind of transpired that throughout my life and as you know a teenager and in college I struggled with alcohol and that went into my adult life but when I was 30 I was introduced to heroin and that kind of took me down a road of destruction and despair and um, as I'm sure you can imagine I have been in and out of jail I've survived many overdoses I've had Many abscesses cut out of my arms. I've almost lost one of my arms. Um, I've been kidnapped. I've been a victim of a lot of domestic abuse. But on January 5th, 2018, is kind of when everything changed. Um, I woke up and found my brother, who was also my best friend, dead of a drug overdose. And he wasn't a drug addict. So still to this day, we're not really sure what happened, if he had gotten into some of my stuff, if he had gotten something from somebody else. Um, so it was after that, I was really mad at God. So the fact that I'm even here standing, um, I was absolutely prayed into this program. And since I have found complete freedom from my addiction, um, I have a relationship with God again. Um, I have complete restoration with my family. I'm going back to school in the fall. Um, I'm going home to be a full-time mom to my 11-year-old son, Jackson. And I just have complete healing from my grief and loss and shame and guilt. And, yeah, life is really good, and I have hope for my future, just all because of this program. So thank you. Uh, hi, my name is Sarah. I'm 30 years old. Uh, I was born and raised in Montana. Um, I was adopted at two months old, um, and then my family fell apart when I was 12, and I found out my dad wasn't my dad anymore, um, and we didn't see him for about the next six years. Uh, in that time, I started with alcohol, um, moved to the other side of Montana uh, when my mom got remarried, and started with meth at 16. And... Um, Got married real young at 18, um, had three kids by, by the time I was 22, <laughs> um, and I was miserable. Um, I moved out to Minnesota in 2010. Um, my parents had moved out here, and uh, I just fell into my addiction worse. Um, I didn't want to feel, and I thought that that was a safe place to not feel anything at. Um, so in 2015, I lost all three of my children 
Um, they went with my family, thank God. Um, and I was homeless for about the next four years. Um, last November, November 13th, I got arrested. And um, all I wanted to do was be sober for my 30th birthday. Um, I knew if I could get enough time underneath my belt that I could just white knuckle it and be okay. Um, I was not going to choose Teen Challenge because they don't allow cigarette smoking and I really wanted to do that. Um, I, didn't, I wasn't ready to give up everything. <laughs> um, but the program director at the jail I was at um, pulled out release of information for Teen Challenge and I signed them and it was an answered prayer because um, here I am. I, I went through the short-term program, 25 days there, and then uh, Proverbs 15 brought me to long-term. And, um, and so far, I've, there's all these contracts that we work on that really dig into court issues. And um, right now, I'm currently working on the one that uh, talks about <laughs> how God's mercy is for everybody, not just who I deem worthy of it. And, um, and so it really digs into some core issues that, that take care of not only the drug problem, but the problems that, that got us to those drugs in the first place. Um, Teen Challenge has saved my life, and um, I've got about six months left in the program, and I just can't wait to see what, what the rest of the future holds. But thank you guys. We're gonna watch a video. Even though this COVID-19 situation says we can't spend time at your church, we just want you to know at Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge that the Lord is working on every one of our hearts. Uh, here's a look at the choir uh, singing a song for you in praise. We thank you and God bless.
Good morning. I am Brandy. I am a member at Emmanuel here, and it was actually a year ago that I sat right here and I learned about Teen Challenge. I decided um, I wanted to become a mentor. The Lord had put it on my heart, and I just want to highly encourage each and every one of you to give back and be able to mentor. Um, it's been an incredible journey. It's been life-changing for me. And my mentee, Natalie, that is about to graduate in August, I couldn't be more proud of her. When she looked at me and she said, this is a friendship, this is love, it broke my heart. These girls need your love. These girls need to know what a normal life looks like. And so I just, I just ask that you pray to the Lord and, and see if this is your journey. See if mentoring is for you. These, these men and women really need you. And thank you. I just want to mention, too, I don't know where Kim Forbes is. Uh, Kim, if you're around, you could raise your hand or stand up so we can find you. Uh, Kim works in our HR department, and we have uh, lots of job openings if people are looking for, even if you're retired and you're looking for a day or a couple days, three days a week, two day a week, or whatever that you could come, we'll hire you. Uh, we need people to cover shifts and um, uh, this would be a great ministry opportunity for you if you're around. I, do we see Kim around anywhere? Where is she? Oh, way up there. Kim, maybe you want to meet down in the end here or somewhere at the end. Of, can anybody see her up there? Okay, great. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we pray that you'll bless this message the next couple minutes. Touch our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start with a scripture that is very pertinent to the day and hour we're living in. If Jesus was here today, I think this is probably the verse he would gravitate to. It's found in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, and it talks about what Jesus felt in the climate of the society that he was living in. And it says these words, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but workers are few. So pray the Lord of the harvest. He told his disciples, pray that the Lord of this harvest and ask him to send more workers into the fields. I like what the Living Bible says this. What pity Jesus felt for the crowd because their problems were so great they didn't know what to do or where to go for help. They were like a sheep without a shepherd. We live in a very troubled state. And I was thinking about this earlier. Uh, I'm 67 years old. I'm getting up there. And uh, 67 years old, I, I, I don't know in my lifetime if I have ever seen a period of history, even a period of a few months, where I have seen people as unhappy or as uh, life is filled with so much turmoil and uh, hopelessness. And, and I love what Micah said when he stood up here. He said, since I've come to Teen Challenge, I'm, I'm so filled with hope. You know what? Um, that's what Teen Challenge is doing, is bringing hope. Amen? Well, instead of having a bunch of... Uh, uh, hopeless drug addicts, we have a bunch of drugless hope addicts. Amen? And that's what we should be doing. There was a study, many of you read about it, it came out in January, it was hitting every single major newspaper across the country, and it was a, a poll that surveyed Americans to see how they felt about uh, the hour they're living in. And it was interesting, the study showed in 50 years, American citizens have never felt as hopeless or as unhappy in all of their lifetime. And this was before the COVID outbreak. This was before the lockdown. Can you imagine what people are feeling today? Since this COVID outfit uh, outbreak, 
I don't know about you, I mean, I turn on the TV news, and it's been now going on three months, that's all you hear, I'm so sick of it, I turn the news off, as soon as they, t I wait until they're done talking about COVID to see if there's any other news that that's worth listening to. I mean, you're just, people are hopeless. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's just a spirit of hopelessness in our society. Um, I, I, I think it's reflected of what we've seen just recently. It was five weeks ago. I mean, never has our country ever been as divided as it is five weeks ago. Just um, uh, um, Actually, 30 feet across from the built, new building, we have the Tubman building just a half a block up the street from our largest campus, uh, right next 30 feet away from our staff housing. The post office was burned down to the ground. We were the center of the riots. The uh, Thursday night happened on the 3rd Precinct. 5th Precinct was the target Friday night, and uh, there were over a 1,000 rioters and mobsters that came and... and uh, 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 mob group, I guess, that came and, and were demonstrating. They burned down the post office 30 feet away uh, to the ground. The, the um, large uh, strip mall was burned and looted. That's just 30 feet away from us. Just a f stone's throw away is the Wells Fargo Bank. That was burned to the ground. And it was interesting, Saturday, that happened on Friday night, Saturday morning, five weeks ago. I got up early in the morning at 7 o'clock and I drove down there and I, was, I found it was surprising as I was walking around maybe in a three or a four block radius of our buildings and to see that people had taken spray cans and this is what you found in most cases. It said, I won't, well obviously I won't say it was F-U-C-U, but there was no, no retaliation. It wasn't the police thereafter. Just people are frustrated. They're angry. I counted, as I said, about 20 different places all over. It was just... It was just in the middle of the road, just FUs. I mean, just people, people are hopeless. Are you, are you with me? Is this the real world we're in? You walked into church today. People are hopeless. You know what? Uh, I love what Jesus, he always puts things into perspective. Jesus, when he looked at sinners, he didn't, and he didn't call them uh, Helens or troublemakers or nuisance or punks or thugs or criminals or hooligans or rowdy rioters or drug addicts. You know what he called them? He called them harvest, right? He said the harvest. When people don't know where to turn, we see at a Teen Challenge, you, many of you caught the um, news clips. One month after the COVID, alcohol sales across the country were up 50%, 5-0, just 30 days after the COVID. Uh, you can imagine three or four months now down the road how bad it's gone. Since the COVID outbreak, we've seen people are, are walking in fear. They're hopeless. There is no normal. We've seen the police brutality on one end. We've seen the mob violence on the other end. People are, are turning to drugs and alcohol just to cope with what we've seen, just the demand of the program and, and some of the craziness, and people are scared to come into treatment because of the, the COVID outbreak, and, and so they're out there. I mean, we've heard it. Uh, they're out there killing themselves with drugs and alcohol, 
I don't know if you're aware of it, in, uh, in America right now, there are 70 million Americans with some, that are taking some type of mood-altering drugs out of a population of 326 million Americans. Listen, everybody hear this? 326 million Americans, 70 million of them today are taking some mood-altering drug just to survive. Last year, 70,000 Americans died of a drug overdose in Minnesota. That was an average of about two a day. There are currently over 632,000 Minnesotans that have a drug a DWI on their record, and the people from Teen Challenge tell me all the time, they said, I've been drinking all my life. I don't have a DWI in my record. These are the people who were just caught, 632,000 of your neighbors, Minnesotans, that have a DWI on their record. One out of eight Americans right now meets the criterion of being labeled as an alcoholic. That's, this is just alcohol. Then we haven't even talked about illegal drugs. You've probably seen the newspaper article this last year and, and um, a couple months ago. In 2019, the um, law enforcement in Minnesota confiscated over two tons of uh, meth. And just so you break it down, I won't get through all the, but there are 280 doses of meth in every ounce, there are 4,480 doses of meth in every pound, and there are over 4,000 pounds, two tons, that's 17,920,000 doses of meth in a, and this was calculated on those who, who are the most serious of the meth users that have to take twice as much meth as the average user. Seven to almost 18 million doses. Can you imagine? And the guys tell me for every ounce of meth that's confiscated by police out here, there's 10 times the amount that's being. You know, we live in a world today where people need hope. They need the Lord. They need God. Amen? I didn't share this earlier, but I, I, I think of the story. Uh, my own life, your story is the same. I would have given my right arm in the height of my addiction, at 22 years of age, I was addicted for five years on drugs, three years, it was every day, night and day. I would have given my right arm to know what I know today. I shared this in the earlier service that my wife is an accomplished violinist. She's played me many times over the years. She's 40 credits short. She's going to be up here in a minute reading a story. Uh, and uh, she's 40 credits short from a doctoral degree in violin performance. And when I was, when the, our kids were younger, we used to do this all the time. We'd stop at um, like a thrift stores or something. We'd look around when they'd find an old violin, a junky violin. They'd say, Mom, come look at this. Can you play some? And Lynette would get that violin, put a little rosin on the bow and make that thing sing. And I'm reminded of a poem that I heard. And it's, uh, it's, it's, I think it's, applicable to our day and age we're living in today. And it goes something like this. It was tattered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it was scarcely worth his while to spend much time on the old violin, but the auctioneer held it up with a smile. What do we give for this old violin? He said, who will start the bidding for me? A dollar, two dollars, who will make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going and gone, but no. From the room far back came a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow and wiping the dust off the old violin and tightening those loosened strings, he played a melody that was pure and sweet like caroling angels sings. 
The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, What do we give now for this old violin as he held it up for, with a bow? A thousand dollars? Two? Two thousand who'll make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice. Going and gone, said he. The people cheered. And then some of them cried and said, We don't quite understand. What changed the worth? Quick came the reply, it was the touch of the master's hand. And many a man whose life is out of tune, battered and scarred by sin, is auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like that old violin. A bowl of pottage, a glass of wine, and a game, and he travels on, and he's going once and going twice and going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the thoughtless crowd can never quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that's wrought by the touch of the master's hand. I'm going to ask my wife to come up. She's going to read a story of a, that was recent at one of our recent graduations where a mom got up with her daughter. I've never seen in a long time such a story of hope, and as the two of them were hugging and crying, the, the mother read the letter that Lynette's going to read to the audience. Thank you. Hope. The dictionary defines hope as the feeling that what is wanted can be had, or that events will turn out for the best, to look forward to with desire and reasonable confidence. It's such a small word, only four letters, but having hope and believing in hope left in God's hands can be life-changing. Three years ago, our daughter lost hope. She turned to alcohol and drugs to take away the trauma of having been sexually assaulted. Her self-esteem and her confidence was gone. She became a shell of her former self. When she was high, there wasn't any pain. Life as she knew it just went away until the high wore off. She worked at various jobs, and when payday came, the money went to buy drugs. When she couldn't keep a job, she turned to prostitution to get the money she needed to buy more drugs. She floated in and out of our house and our lives. She would sometimes come home during the day when we were at work to eat, shower, and maybe get some sleep. She would be gone by the time we came home. Evidence of her being home was a wet towel on the bathroom floor, dirty dishes that weren't there when I left for work, or an unmade bed. Eventually, the days between when we would hear from her would turn into weeks at a time. Sometimes, Tim or I would take a day off from work and stay home, hoping she would show up, and we could surprise her so we could just see her face and talk to her about getting help. Eventually, we were thankful for a wet towel on the floor because that meant she was still alive. Our lives were just turned upside down. Before going to bed, I would turn on the outside light for her, hoping she would come home and turn it off. In the morning, I was the one to turn the light off. After a while, I didn't turn it on anymore. I spent my nights crying and lying awake in bed, praying for God to send his angels to protect her. I hoped I would hear the door open and she would come home asking for help. Phone calls in the middle of the night from people we didn't know who were looking for her would awaken us, first leaving us angry, then thankful it wasn't someone else asking us to come and identify her in the morgue. One night in September, I received a phone call from her. 
She was crying and asking once again if she could come home. My husband was out of town and I just couldn't do this anymore. Tough love popped into my head. She said she was ready to get help and she couldn't live like this anymore. So I told her I would call some shelters and see if they had room and could take her. One of the women I spoke with asked me, why are you doing this? She's 21. But what I heard was the voice of an angel asking me, why are you doing this? She's only 21. If I didn't bring her home, we might never hear from her again. Jesus tells us to forgive 70 times seven. And when that number is exceeded, we start over. I called my daughter back at the number she'd given me and I said I would pick her up and she agreed to go into long-term treatment. I brought her home hoping that this time would be different. The next day, she filled out the paperwork for Teen Challenge. After talking with the admissions office and getting all the necessary documents ready, she was given an admissions date of October 13th. Those few weeks seemed so far away. I didn't know if she would stay home until then or if she would run like she had done so many other times. But this time was different. She stayed. Praise God. Monday, October 13th was cold, dreary, and rainy when I brought an angry and lost young woman to the admissions office of Teen Challenge. I gave her a hug and a kiss. I looked into her empty eyes and I told her I was so proud of her and that we loved her and then I left her in God's hands. I cried all the way home. Knowing she could walk away at any time, I honestly didn't think she would last the week. But thank you, Spiritual Emphasis Week. When I came to visit her that first Saturday, I could see that something had changed in her. She looked at peace, like she knew she was where she needed to be. She had so much to tell me, but the first thing she said was how sorry she was for all the pain and hurt she had caused. The visiting hours flew by. I think we cried most of the time. It was hard for me to let her go, but I knew I would see her again in a week. The spark that used to be in her eyes now was a faint glimmer again, a glimmer of hope. Through all of this, my husband and I found our faith again. We started going to a wonderful Assembly of God church. Here we discovered we were not alone in our pain and sorrow. Through the grace of God, our pastor, and our new church family, we discovered the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of fellow believers. Our family has been strengthened. Our marriage has been strengthened. And I finally figured out that God's purpose was for me to bring our daughter home last September because he has great plans for her. Teen Challenge saved our daughter's life. Thank you, Lena. I shared earlier that uh, um, this church has sown into our life 36 years. You've been supporting this, our ministry, for 36 years, every single month. And uh, honest to God, the last thing I want to do today is to stand in front of you and ask for help. But today it's not about the sherers. It's about these women it's about this program. What has happened uh, when we first started Teen Challenge um, almost 30 years ago, 
the first women's house that we really opened, we, we used a building for a while called the Hudson House, but we, the first women's building that we owned, we didn't have the money, we were survivalists, and we went from, we're operating the program from hand to mouth, and there was a 100-bed um, board and lodge that was located 10 blocks away from us that we could pick up for a song. It was a bu building that was built during the Depression, we, it was, it's nothing but bedrooms. There are no classrooms, there are no chapels, there's, there's no, hardly any offices. There's, it's just, it was made as bedrooms, overnight shelter. And uh, because that was all we had, we acquired that building, meaning, hoping that in the near, distant future we could create, build some offices, build some space, so that they, we have to do almost all the ladies' programming, especially a long-term program, it has to be done outside of the building. You can't even, there. and the worst part is if you visit the building when, it's, when there's near capacity in the wintertime, uh, I've driven by on Saturday mornings and see there's no room for the families to meet in the building. There's little children and moms meeting out. Sometimes you could see their breath as the little kids are out there with, meeting with their moms so they can just see their moms. There's no room inside. They can't meet them in the buildings. We, it's been the burden of our heart to find another building. About a year ago, um, the owners of the Tubman building got a hold of us. That's a half a block down the street from us on First Avenue, 31st and First Avenue. It takes up the whole city block. It's 60,000 square feet. feet. Half of the building is, is made up of offices, administration, and classrooms, and chapel. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's made for us. And uh, we were able to negotiate the building. A donor stepped forward and helped us. We have to do major renovations, which we've started this last week. We closed on the building in, in January. And uh, the biggest thing now, we're hoping as soon as we get this construction done, is we have to open it. We have no furniture for inside of that building. It's going to cost us about $2,000. And you can bring up the pictures. I don't know, maybe they've already done that. I guess there you can see some of the building. It's a wonderful building. It's a lovely building strategically. You couldn't ask for a better spot. It's right when you're going over 35W and Lake Street, it sticks out like a sore thumb. It's the, it takes up a half of a city or a quarter of a city block. And... Uh, this morning, our challenge to you is we need furniture for inside. These ladies can't sleep on the floor. We need mattresses. We need beds. We need dressers. We need a little desk where they can study at. And it's going to cost us, as I said, $2,050. So, Pastor Darren, if you want to come up and, I, and look at me, I, I want to say this humbly. Thank you. Thank you, Emmanuel, for standing with us. You were there in the first building. You've been there in every expansion we have. We're indebted to this church. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. To learn more about the many ministry opportunities we have throughout the week, be sure to check out emmanuelcc.org.